Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Cathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them, the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of choice, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy. Welcome. Our guest today in the podcast chair is Natasha Hawker, the Managing Director of Employee Matters. Hello. Welcome back, I should have said. Welcome. Uh, It's great to be here. I always love coming and chatting to you. So thanks for having me back again. Pleasure, pleasure. And we need to say that we share a birthday and that was yesterday. So we are older and wiser than had we have done this last week. Do you know that Virgos get along very well with Virgos? I didn't know that. Mm, Apparently they do. So that's why we're such great mates. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, that's so funny. I'm going to go and have a look at that. Um, so tell us a little bit about you and your role because it's it just fascinates me. Year on year, I discover more about what you guys get done. Look, I, it's, I think that's the thing. It's changing every time. Like I'm feeling, if I'm really honest, I'm feeling a little bit of, you know, that when you put yourself out and you're trying to stretch yourself, you start to get that icky feeling. But if you're not getting yep. the icky feeling enough, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, we are growing rapidly. So my challenge at the moment, Kathy, is hanging on and hoping that growth doesn't kill us. Um, and so roles are changing. My role's morphing. I gave up the sales that I used to do and I was a great blocker for those sales. And now Don is doing them and she does an excellent job. And so my role is actually going more back into the profile piece, which is what I love, you know, the speaking gigs and the podcast doing mm. exactly this is where I have my fun, but also just making sure the structure of the business is what it needs to be to be a business of this size. So lots happening, uh, yep. all good, but uh, there's never enough hours in the day, as you know, all too well. Yeah. And then I've got three teenagers and uh, that poses its own challenges. Oh, that's another full-time job sitting right there. So employee yep. matters, what what do you guys get done? Give us a 60-second kind of Yeah. So what we, I think it's good to start with what we believe. What we believe is superior HR doesn't just fix or even prevent problems. Mm. Superior HR is actually your competitive edge to greater productivity, profitability, and sustainability. We're all about employees are your greatest asset and also potentially your greatest liability and should be treated as such. So what we do is we are your outsourced provider, your co-pilot in the business that helps you hire, manage and exit even better. So Mm. a lot of businesses, they get to a point and they haven't done anything in their HR space and then suddenly there's some compliance issues. So we are essentially an outsourced HR manager. We come in and do recruitment, Mm. but we also have a fabulous diagnostic tool which will assess you, your current levels of HR compliance, risk and best practice. And that gives you a report card and then you can tick off as you go what you need to do in terms of priority, budget, and risk, which is really, really important. Yeah. And you're not new to the HR people game. You've been working, not very quietly, you've been working very loudly for years now. So just give us a little bit of the history as well, because I think it's relevant 
because you've 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 seen a lot. Yeah, I have seen a lot. Um, so I have been working in this field for I hate to say it, it's twenty. We were talking about grey hairs. I just told you I'd gone blonde because I got sick of hiding <laughs> those natural highlights. It's about twenty seven years ago, and I often say there's nothing that I see that can surprise me anymore because I've seen so much. But mm. in essence, my career started in banking and finance, working in dealing rooms. Wasn't that an eye opener? You know, people used to Gosh. drink and sleep under the uh, under the bench tops, you know, mm. there, there was all sorts of strippers in the office every Friday afternoon. That was just the norm. Mm. So Eek. all that sort of very unpolitically correct and completely improper stuff used to go on way back in the late 80s, early 90s. But my career in HR um, started in recruitment. I worked in a recruitment consultancy for a number of years, which I loved. I wasn't good at sales, but I was great at account management and I was good at putting people in places. And then I got my lucky break and I joined Accenture and I joined Accenture and I was there for the best part of 12 years. And I feel like I learned best practice there that I now apply in a way that makes commercial sense to small to medium businesses. And then from there, um, I started to branch out on my own. I had three kids in three years and there wasn't a lot of options of being a senior manager <laughs> at a top, you know, professional consulting firm if I ever mm. wanted to see my kids back then. It's changed back then. now. Yep. Back yep. then. So the business has been going, God, um, we'll be 11 years old on the 1st of December. I still yeah, feel I was like thinking it was your 10th. It was your 10th birthday yeah. last year. Yep. Yeah. You still feel as though you're a startup. I think that's yeah. a great energy to have. I do feel like that because it's always changing. You know, mm. I think one of the reasons, I honestly believe one of the reasons why I'm still sitting here today, Kathy, is that I have invested, like you, in my professional development mm. and like the people you work with. And I truly believe that if I wasn't doing that and I've done north of $250,000, I've spent a lot on my professional yeah. development, but I wouldn't have had the success I've had and I wouldn't be sitting here if I didn't have that continuous improvement mindset, if I didn't invest in my yeah. education because I was great at HR. The funny thing is I would say now I am not your best person to do the actual work anymore. My team are infinitely better than I am. Yeah. I can talk about it at a high level and I still have that interest, but you don't actually want me doing your job. So, yeah. you know, yeah. there are other people better suited to that. But that's about being a business leader and bringing in the best people you know to do all of the roles. And being happy to give it up too because, mm. you know, you've met David Brown in my team. Mm. David is my co-pilot and he's great at what I'm not good at, which is all the detail and the process and <laughs> step one, step two, I, I want to tear my hair out, but he's good at it. So he comes yeah. along and cleans up my mess after me. But, you know, I have a lot of Finishes the Finishes all of the things. Yeah. Finishes all of the things. So you've worked with a bunch of our clients. You've worked with We've worked with you. You've worked yeah. with um, all sorts of allied health business business owners mm. in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Throw us some memories of perhaps the last five, even the last five years. Yeah. is just crazy time. What have Looks, you noticed? So much has changed. I think what I would say, and I think back to one of the speaking gigs you and I did years ago in in uh, around Circular Key. Yeah, you know. NDIS, we can't get around that. It's meant a lot of work and a lot of headaches and a lot of stress, but it's also meant a lot of opportunity as well. Mm. And I think that meant that for many um, allied health professionals and practitioners and owners of businesses, the game changed overnight and their ability to run a business absolutely came to the fore. And I think in the past, because it was maybe, and you'd have a better view of this than me, a little bit more dictated and structured, 
that it was sort of done to them and they just ran their businesses. This required a much more proactive, aggressive management business brain than a clinician brain. Mm. So I, I think if I reflect back on the last five to eight years, which is how long we've been working with allied health people, is I still see that strain or that tension between that desire because that's what they got them in there to be a great clinician because they're great speechy or they're a great OT and actually having to take that hat off and the other one on and be the business owner, which sometimes you have to be a tough cookie cookie to do that. And it's not always fun. You know, I've had a couple of those conversations today and it's not always fun. And so I think that's, that's still there. So I think that piece of surround yourself with people uh, people that are better at you at certain things and I think those management skills so making sure they're educating themselves around that management space the challenge always and I I hate to say it but I think for the foreseeable future is going to be finding great talent and that recruitment strain and I know it continues to be a bugbear and it must be so frustrating for all these wonderful businesses out there in allied health land they've got more work they can poke a stick at that is not the problem the problem Mm. is they're resource constrained um you know from a a talent perspective which is holding them back and it's very frustrating and you're in a position to be able to comment on how tight the workforce is nationally across many domains as well as allied health as well. Absolutely. So I have been doing this 27 years and I've never seen it so tight. This is the tightest applicant market I've ever seen. And guess what? Those poor OTs in Queensland, they are the number one most difficult job to recruit in Australia at the moment. Is it really? Is that the it latest? Is the hardest. It's the hardest role. So for all of those people up in Queensland. We better not edit in. that out. I think no. we'll leave that bit in. Yeah, it is really tough. So there are certain industries that are really struggling. Hospitality is struggling. Yeah. Building and construction is struggling, although I think there's going to be a few more businesses fall over in that space mm. and that will free up some people. Allied health is a big, big issue. T- IT is the other really big wow, issue. Wow, okay. Uh, we, uh, developers, you cannot find them for love nor money. They're as rare as heads teeth and they are asking for salary increases of between 50 and 70% in some cases. You've got legal profession. I was talking to my lawyer the other day, M&A lawyer, and he was like, you know what? My people are getting pinched for 30 and between 30 and $40,000 more than what I'm paying them. They're a couple of years out of uni. And he Gosh. said, I can't compete with that. But here's the interesting point. He said, but I'm not going to either because that's not mm. commercially sensible thing to do because they cannot yep. bill enough to cover their costs. So, yep. you know, it's, it, it is a challenge there. So um, it's going to make it super tough on an ongoing basis. There's some things that will happen that will free it up a bit, immigration lightens up. But the, the, the hard and fast and horrible truth is that we have not got enough people coming through our universities skilled up to cover the demand that we've got of an ageing population. Yeah. A little bit of a silver lining is that I've, I've noticed and observed there's been more movement in the past, what are we up to, eight months, nine months, that although there may not be more people coming into the workforce and graduates are kind of, they're signed up before they've graduated Mm. um, and finished, but there seems to be more movement with people coming and going in different roles and more interstate movement as well. Definitely. And I think those organisations, I think people are much more open to that move. Like in the past, Mm. people were actually, you know, other than when people went and did their UK trip, you know, and they went over and got some experience, clinician experience in the UK, 
they pretty much stay close to home. You know, if you yep. born on the northern beaches, you stayed on the northern beaches. I think that paradigm has been shattered, mm. you know, and people are, and I think a lot of that's being driven by cost of housing and cost of living in Sydney. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. And so I think that's starting to change. Uh, but you're right, there is movement, and part of that is driven by candidates actively going out and seeking it, and part of it is driven by people coming in and asking them whether they'd consider another opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder with some of this tightening of, you know, uh, interest rates going up, inflation going up, whether people might slow down and not move because it's better the devil you know, and if they have uh, some length of service and they're made redundant, at least they get a payout. Where if they go to another organisation and they're suddenly back at under yep. 12 months service, they're not going to get a redundancy. So they're weighing that mm. up in their decision of leaving. Having said that, people are bored and they're looking for a different opportunity. Yeah, yep. So if yep. they're not going to get things shaken up a bit where they currently are, you know, looking at ways we can do things better, then I think that's going to be a problem. Yeah. The other thing that we've seen is a lot of new startups in the last 12 months, the solopreneurs, and we all started as a solopreneur. We didn't always know where it was all going to end, but there's a lot of new startups happening as, as well. And they may not be after, so they're A, out of the bigger workforce for the more senior roles, mm-hmm. not even the more senior roles, but um, so they're thinning that, but then they may well be creating different demand in another 18, 24 months time as well. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting. You know, I did a, a little bit of research before coming on. I think here's some stats that I think is worth keeping in mind for how people can do something a little bit different with this. So um, when considering a job move, employees have three priorities, and I've been banging on about this for years before it was even a thing. Work-life balance is number one. It's still the number one, even with all of this wage pressure and so on. The next one is attractive salary and benefits. And the third is job security. And this is according to Randstad's latest Mm -hmm. employer uh, briefing or branding research. But 62% of the 6,000 people that took the survey said those three are their top three. So that's interesting. So even if you start to you know, try and do something in that space, you're going to have a little bit more. Um, and, and job security is a good one. You guys have got a job for life, you know, yeah. because of what's happening. The other thing that I thought was really important is that many, uh, it was 50% of employees thought that salary, uh, their salary wasn't in line with their expectations. So there's a mm. lot of pressure there. Two thirds or 66% of employees said they would stay in their role if their employer made positive changes to support their growth, such as opportunities to reskill and upskill. Now, I've always said I think one of the biggest mistakes mm. businesses make is they don't invest in training their people. And I know you guys, that's a big part of it, but yep. it may yep. be even a broader skill set that people are looking for. And the last one, which is so, so important is that they, from a legal perspective, they are thinking that at least 20% of employees are estimated to be underemployed, under, uh, underpaid. I was going to ask you, oh, underpaid. Yeah, underpaid. So that's in high-risk industries such as healthcare, yep. resources and construction. So if you aren't, if you're not regularly doing that analysis of your job description, your award and the classification mm. and making sure that it is accurate, then you are leaving yourself wide open um, and fair worker and, you know, uh, uh, taking a lot of umbrance to that sort of underpayment. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's kind of the, the research, completely and utterly fascinating. How does that match what you're hearing about what candidates want? Yeah, I think this one's really clear. And again, this doesn't necessarily have to cost money, which is what I think is important when we're business owners and we're trying to, where are we going to put our money to get the best return on investment? Number one is great leaders. You need to be a great leader. Mm. You'll have heard me say in the past, Kathy, on numerous times, mm-hmm. people don't leave companies, they leave leaders. Yeah. That transparency, that authenticity, you don't have to be Superman or Superwoman, but you absolutely need to be authentic. And following on from that is communication. So what, you know, how well are you communicating with your team? You you made a comment on it the other day, and I think some of people who follow me on LinkedIn would have seen it. Um, Two weeks ago, we had our our team catch-up and we'd usually lock them in a boardroom and we do lots of, because we're a remote team, so we don't get to see each other very often. So our culture is really important. Lock them in a boardroom and give them lots of content. We have a working lunch. We do some knowledge, professional development, then we go out and drink wine and have a lovely dinner in the evening. Well, this year, and it was very hard to keep a secret, I have to say, I have very inquisitive employees. We just told them to wear jeans and sand shoes and walk them down (laughs) to the wharf And there came a massive catamaran boat. And at 10.30 in the morning, the ladies were poured a glass of Prosecco and we spent the day on the boat. The only objective of that day was to bond, build relationships and to say thank you for being a great team. Mm, And the the value that came out of that connectivity is is really, really important. And and the communication Mm. that was built within the team. And then the last one there is what we talked about before is that training piece. You know, do you, have you done a training needs analysis? Do you know what the gaps are? Do you know who your aspiring leaders are who might want to become team leaders in your role? Yep. What can you be yep. doing to develop them now rather than leaving it to the time you've got a gap and you suddenly have got to put them in and they're underbaked? Yeah. But that's what I think the candidates want. So when candidates talk about culture and communication and connection, what what does that look and feel like on a day-to-day basis? Mm. I think it's a hard one to define. It is. Look, I think one of the things that has come out of um, COVID is using different technologies. So we use Slack and we have a random channel Mm. and the amount of pussycat photos, dog photos, funny photos, kids that have just been in their uh, dad's academy and Mm. they're doing, you know, it's an opportunity for the team to connect. And everyone honestly piles in with, wow, isn't that exciting? Oh, aren't they beautiful? But that people feel that connection. You know, our team rates our... um, our culture at sort of 82 to 88%. And, mm. and they don't see each other for four months at a time or over COVID, 18 months at a time. Mm. So it's around building relationships. We give everyone in the business a buddy. So they've got somebody they can ask. And I say there's never a dumb question, but they've got someone they can ask the questions to that is their yep. advocate and is built into making them a success as quickly as possible. Um, and I think culture, I always talk about it, the look, smell and feel, and I love that mm. you introduced the question like that. I can go into almost any business, I can tell you, and I can probably tell them in a couple Stand of sentences what yeah. the culture is. Um, trust is mm. absolute. it takes a long time to build and seconds to destroy. And yeah. transparency works. We are very transparent with our team. I've got a um, a board here that shows everyone what we make every month, where mm. the money's coming in, who hasn't paid, all of that sort of stuff, what their chargeability is. Um, and 
and some people look at it and they're interested. Some of my team never even open it. It's just not what yeah. they're interested in, yeah. but it's there. Mm. And through doing that, it, I think it builds trust. Yeah, absolutely. Running a business isn't just about setting up shop and becoming complacent. It's about showing up for ourselves and our clients with a commitment to continuous improvement. We have to be honest with ourselves about where we're at and where we're going. That means identifying strengths and weaknesses so we can improve. After all, if we're remaining stagnant, how can we scale and build the business and life of our dreams? That's where the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz comes in. We're not talking horoscopes and pulse hope here. This questionnaire is the perfect starting point for you to begin identifying your strengths, needs, and blind spots as an allied health business owner. The process is simple. Answer the 14 questions and we'll send you a personalized report that includes actionable steps for you to start taking your business to the next level. Ready to take your business into your own hands? Take the NACAR Consulting Allied Health Biz Quiz today. Something that is sort of related and we've we've spoken about a lot on and off over the while is this whole mythical concept of an employee value proposition. Yeah. And so I spend a lot of time talking about this with our clients and I've read many a one. I've got one in my inbox right now to have a look at yeah. this afternoon. What how do you describe it? What what yeah. what is this I, thing? I the way I describe it is I see that it's the it is the exchange between the employer and the employee at its mm. basic level it is about what's in it for me to attract mm. you as a candidate to me number 1 but number 2 what is it going to be that's going to retain you so if you're thinking about it if you were coming to work at employee matters what would you be want? What would my candidates and my potential future employees want from me? I see it comes into these five categories, which is compensation, benefits, yep. career, work environment, and culture. They are the five petals and secret ingredients. And secret ingredients. And, and I'm very happy to go through some things that I think fall into those because they're not as obvious as what you think. And I think sometimes people get overwhelmed, you know. In compensation, it can be around the frequency of pay. You know, there's an organisation that's just started at the moment called WageStream. You'll find this interesting, Kathy. They actually are a business that you can get paid today for what's owing to you as at today. So you don't have to wait till your pay period till the end of the month. And I think that's mm. a really interesting concept, especially for our younger workers. Um, but it's, you know, simple things like you, you know, comp- Superannuation is an interesting one. My dad, back in the early 90s, was getting 14.5% superannuation for a number of years mm. leading up until into his retirement. That's a massive, that was back then, compounding mm. and so on. So it might be profit share, employee share schemes are becoming yeah. very popular at the moment. Mm. Um, and that may be a great way for some of you know, your listeners to grow their businesses and share some of that responsibility, especially if it's not what they really want to be doing or that they don't, they know what they're good at. So I think that's really important. Um, If we were to talk about benefits, it could be gym memberships, it could be discounts, it could be flexible, flexible working is the number one Getting your, your birthday off and paid. Getting your birthday off and paid. <laughs> or having, um, you know, I've seen organisations that give you a charity day so you can go yes. and work in a soup kitchen. Great yes. idea. Yep. And, and 
your younger workers that are coming into the workforce now, they want purpose. They want you to be connected mm-hmm. to your business to purpose. Mm-hmm. So when you're doing stuff like that, it's really important. You might give additional parental leave. That could be something that would yeah. be really valid in your industry in particular yeah. because you have a high proportion of women. Um and maybe there's some job share opportunities, mm. you know, um, that might happen there. Um, if we're talking about culture, it's around that leadership style and authenticity. It's around communication. We have a stand-up every Wednesday. It's like the um, Brady Bunch, you know, everyone's <laughs> up on the screens, and, and mm. but you guys could do that physically. Um reward system so I call all of my clients to find out how we've done and then on that stand-up I go I just want to let you know we spoke to Kathy this is what she said Mm. about David she said he's amazing and that that goes out publicly Mm. and and the whole team sits there and does claps for that individual but success leaves clues and that reinforces what our clients like and that and that comes through the next one is um career so that might be promotion opportunities mentoring access to challenging work not everyone in your business or your practice wants tricky clients but there mm. might be someone in there that loves that challenge or so find to, that out wants to be able to have variety yeah and that training and that can be in-house or external training is really important and then work environment um you know do they have the technology do they have the admin support what is the office aesthetics does oh yeah! Nice? Oh my god! I'm looking at you with your lovely plants, and I always I love I, your plants. It's like background. a jungle in here. Yeah, it looks fantastic. And then the other one is work location, and this is a challenging one. But I think telehealth opened up some opportunities as well mm. for um, both women potentially that want that flexibility, but also women to live in different places and still be able to tap into that talent. I give an example, our local school here in the Northern Beaches, we cannot get a maths teacher for love nor money because we're not on a train line and we're on a bus line and our, and the younger teachers that are coming out can't afford to live in the area. And this is just mm. the local state school. So that is a barrier to us to attracting great talent at that local school. And so you need to think about that cost of housing, whether there's any local amenities, all of that sort of stuff. So have a think as your listeners are listening to this and think about what they're doing already in this space but what they could be doing. And then the second part of that is, okay, well, that's great. We know and, and survey your people to find out what you're doing. You know, what do they think their EVP is? And then finding out how you could improve it and then infusing that through all of the recruitment aspects that you're doing. So your job ad, not just offers great benefits, blah, that doesn't tell me anything. It might be coffee, it might be parking, it might be you have a massage person come in every Friday and give everyone a bit of a shoulder rub if they want. What are the things that Mm. is your point of difference that makes you different to every other OT practice or physiotherapy um, business locally or even across Australia? Um, So have a think about that. So they're the main things, but then it has to, you have to, live it and breathe it you know your people that are working yeah. there need to see that that evp is what that evp is you know we Get say it, deliver it. on it yeah. we deliver it yeah uh we support our 
our members a huge amount to get these EVPs out of their head. And it takes a bit of time. Uh, it takes a bit of time to kind of get this thinking and to get the language around it. But at the end of the day, we often hear, oh, but I don't like putting myself out there and I don't quite know how to describe it. And can you just write it for me? And you've actually, it really is such a pivotal piece between being a clinician and a business owner that you can actually understand what it is about your business that will put you head and shoulders above above, above others and for the right reasons as well. Yeah. You've really got to start to think very commercially to get this stuff out of your head. Absolutely. And we did a piece of work with uh, an OT in Queensland, in actual fact, to build out the EVP for them and their business. And they were desperate and hoping for one and they found two. Mm. And it was using that deep dive into what is the EVP now? What could it be? And then when you take it that one step further, and this is the advanced technique, is you come up with a candidate persona. So you've got your Mm. job description. What does it look like? What does the person look like? What does the candidate persona Mm. look like that we're actually going out to hire? And then when that goes through all the ads, then you're more likely to attract that kind of candidate persona. They're not just being, well, they have to have this degree and this years of experience. They've got to be this type of person because we know that's what culturally is going to be a great success here. So that's an interesting one. And the work required to get the employee value proposition um, done and dusted, you you then repurpose that everywhere. It is totally where your ads are or your social posts. It's kind of totally redressed for your careers page on your website. So it's by no means a one-hit wonder. And, And you can... Like I, when I look at someone's website nowadays, I can pick whether or not they've done the work on the yes. careers page. And yes. if I follow people on social, I can pick whether they've done the work um, as such. It really is obvious when you know what you're looking for. Absolutely. And I think to your point there, which is a really valid one, you need to be employee branding. So, you know, one of the things mm-hmm. that's really important is to do, if you can afford it, it's not ridiculously expensive and you can make it reasonably evergreen, you know, a, a short video about what is it like to work at Employee yep. Matters? Why would I want to work here? Because the, the the clear fact is that, you know, I think it's 75% of people will have fully checked you out online before they even put an application in. Mm-hmm. So if you're what are not they going to find? <laughs> exactly. If you're not showing well yeah. up, well you know when they're doing their research they aren't even going to put their application in so that is a problem um you know and most people if they're tapped on the shoulder will consider an offer most people yep. they yep. give curiosity yep. you know yeah. that whole ego what am thing, i worth I've been yeah. what, what are you going to pay me what am i worth out there so as um we kind of discussed although the workforce isn't expanding yet i, I don't know when it will Um, But there are people moving and curious and available for that coffee kind of chat and that I think sometimes um, candidates can be very much lost in that interview process as well. Um, And it's it's a real skill. Like I I remember learning to be an interviewer. Um, It was steep learning. How how can kind of business owners sharpen up their interviewing skills? It's a great question. Do you know, I'm doing a speaking gig tomorrow. I think there's going to be about 70 in the room and I'm actually going to do an interview in front of them for a learning point. Um, you're, uh, when you said that, Kathy, I'm like, my God, you learnt. I think <laughs> part of the biggest problem, and, and this doesn't make me very popular saying this, part of the reason why people kind of trick people is because of themselves. 
Yeah. They haven't invested in the recruitment process and they haven't invested in skilling up. So I will always say that you need a a, um, technical, can they do the job, a a behavioural, do they have the behaviours that we need in the organisation and culturally are they fit? And so most people have never been taught formally how to interview and that's a problem because they've generally learnt from someone else who is not a very good interviewer either and so that is shows through in the interview process. So I would upskill in this area. Um, I think it's really important. Um, One of the things that we've done uh, with a couple of allied health clients um, is where they're looking to build their business up uh, and they are putting in their exec team. They've got us to come in and sit in on those interviews and actually run those interviews. That enables the business owner to sit back watch and observe a professional, but also have the pressure off just to listen and then debrief with someone to say, here's I saw bias for action in this question. I saw quick study in this question. I saw client service in this question. These are the behaviours that we want in our business and I can see them evidenced in this candidate. So I think it's really important that you upskill in that area because also you've got to sell it. And, And I think clinicians sometimes find that hard to do the bit of the rah-rah this is why we're a great place to work um because you want to be able to sell you've got to sell otherwise there's going to be other people who will be selling their opportunity better than you and you'll miss out not necessarily because you aren't a great place to work it's just you didn't tell them that you were a great place to work so I think the key there is upskilling I think it's upskilling in the interview piece but I think it's upskilling by way of being a business owner, a business manager and a team leader, I think it circles right back to what you were saying earlier about how you in, is how you interview, how you run your business. Like, is my job secure here? Does this person, you know, have they got the goods to kind of have a role in the next three years of my career as well? I just see that stuff as totally securitous. I think one of the challenges is is that most people haven't been taught how to manage. You generally get promoted to your level of incompetence in many cases, Mm. which is an issue. And so as a manager, I always say, if you could just do three things better, hire better, manage better, exit better, your business is going to be so much Mm. more profitable. So it's really important that people are doing that. And I think, you know, upskilling your leadership team is really, really important so that they all boats rise on the tide, that they have the ability and the skills to be able to do that stuff better because that frees you up to do what you need to do. Mm. And not everyone wants to run the business. But then Mm. if you're not going to run it, you're going to need somebody to run it for you as you build it if you want to stay on the tools. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so much to think about. So many questions I could ask. Um, Employee matters. You do recruiting um, and you do consulting and what else? Roll roll the dice here. Look, I think... You know, if we talk about, because we're just talking about recruiting, I think a lot of people think they can do it themselves. And so Mm. they spend that time. We've done over 10 years, we know on average for most junior level roles, and I'm talking under 100K, there's usually between 40 and 45 hours of work for us to do it and do it well. And that's with all the tools that we've got at our disposal, the ability to hate hunt on LinkedIn, having a tool like JobAdder where we've got a candidate management tool. Mm. And I think business owners typically um, don't get the help they need and they waste time. It's not their core skill set. They're not going to be able to be comfortable approaching someone or managing Mm. those conversations. So, you know, we help them, give them back time. It's the expertise and it's the sourcing and the ability to headhunt and it's, you know, the ability and to come shortlist. up with a yeah. shortlist 
who should we be doing? Why would you want to, you know, waste your core or your time doing phone screens when only three of those seven candidates are worth mm. actually bringing in for interview? So I think that's the one part. The other part is businesses are growing. You have a compliance aspect and you also have the ability to grow and run a business. As I talked about, your if you get this mm. piece right, it can help you grow much faster and much more successfully. So we often come in as your outsourced HR person and we can do that every month and it might be eight hours mm. a month two hours a week but what we do with that two hours is we retro you know reactively fix what we need to fix but then we proactively upskill your team as we're going mm. so it's interesting we are I asked the team just before I came on today what is the number one issue we're seeing in our clients at the moment and it's people not having those difficult conversations who would have thought people wouldn't want to have that performance management gosh bring them on yeah but if if you've got managers that can have those successfully either to bring that individual back to great performance or exit them then that's really powerful in your business so we can help and we we sort of say what we transfer the skills and knowledge as we're working mm. with our clients. And then the last one is that diagnostic tool, employee metrics, where we assess your business for its current levels of HR compliance, risk and best practice. But in the recruitment space, just back on that, because I think this is an interesting business learning. When I started my business, I was an ex-recruitment consultant. I really wanted to not be a recruitment agency person. I wanted to separate myself. And then I said to my first client, I said, I'm just going to charge you however many hours it takes me to recruit this role. And and he said, "Mm, I actually just want a fixed price. I'm going, but it might only take me five hours. And at that time, I think it was charging 120 bucks an hour. He said, it costs you 500 bucks and I'll have found you this person. He goes, no, I want to know. So we actually fixed the price and then obviously had to fix some risk into there. Mm. It has come completely full circle. We are now selling more of what we call a recruitment partner service where you buy a bunch of hours and we go out and recruit for you. We're like your internal recruiter. There's no success fee. You don't have to pay a success fee. There's no guarantee. But what I've noticed, this is a fascinating bit. When you're a recruitment agency, you're on the other side. It's almost like Mm. you're the buffer and you're the, you know, it's the recruiter's fault we didn't find anyone. Now we use that recruitment partner service. We are part of the team. And we're yeah. doing it together. Yeah. And it's so much easier to say, Kathy, I know you really, really want to find someone, but taking that person is the wrong move. Yep. And yeah. and then being okay with that because they know we're so bought into their business that we know what they need. So and, it's well, funny, more importantly, what they don't need. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That can be far more expensive. Yeah. Gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a little bit of a crystal ball moment. What you know a lot about the allowed health industry we speak a lot you've worked with a bunch of our clients what do you think it's going to look like in the next couple of years from a a workforce and an awesome human perspective it's interesting I think it's at a turning point it's been at a turning point for a long time Mm. I truly believe that those businesses that invest in getting that people piece right will out compete their competitors every time they'll be able to attract and they'll be able to retain. Yeah. And with that, they'll be able to grow. So I think it's absolutely fundamental that they understand what their engagement scores are, that they understand their EVP, mm. that they understand how to recruit, that they get people who are good managers to manage and grow and develop their people so that they're getting greater productivity out of their people. Th- that is going to be key. I still think that there's going to be a ta- talent shortage. So whatever you can do to grow them within your business, I would be working with the universities now 
to be going and handpicking, bringing some uh, interns in over the summer. You can't not pay them. You've still got to pay them unless it's part of yeah. their degree to do work placement. But that's a great way. Go to the university and say, I want your best OT in year three or year four. Guess what? They may end up working for you and that'll be a very cheap recruit because mm. you've got to try before you buy. Yeah. Um, so doing something like that, I think, makes a lot of sense. I still think we've got a long way to go with the NDS. I still think that's going to bubble along in our news for mm. some time yet. It's not going away as much as mm. it it needs to be fixed. Mm. It's it's going to be problematic for a while yeah. is what I'm seeing. Yeah. Everything you've just said doesn't imply that this is for the bigger organisations either. No. I think there's a lot to be said for small and mighty, you know, Totally agree with you. And I think that's the issue. And 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 let's, you and I were talking in the green room before we came on about, you know, what's happening in my business. And I was saying, you know, I was being stretched and, and it's changing and evolving. And there are things that you absolutely need to do now. And there are things that you'll need to do when you're bigger. But yeah. if you start building your business as if it was a big business within reason, but have mm. that professionalism, and that will set you up for success both long-term and if you ever want to exit, you're more likely to get somebody to yeah. come along and buy your business or merge with your business because it's not a basket case. It's been set up for growth. So yep. it's easier to do it now when you're small. It's really hard to retrospectively fix it. Oh, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I think it's Stephen Covey, is it? Was it? Start as you mean to proceed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Building the I systems, the people supports. All of that sort of stuff. My husband is ex-Macquarie Bank and Coots in the UK and I'm ex-Accenture and lots of, you know, high-profile businesses here in Australia. And we always laugh because he always says, we've built this business as if we were a Macquarie Bank or, a, you know, a Coots. <laughs> and sometimes he feels like financially we've tried to do that too because he's the, the numbers guy. Yeah. But the mindset and the way yeah. the professionalism we brought to this little small business that was just him and I initially has been the same since day dot. It hasn't changed. And some of that's mm. in our DNA because that's where we both started our yeah. careers and so that's the only way we know how to do business. But I think it's really important, build it to sell it and build it as if you were the big end of town. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so good to catch up. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing the latest and greatest. My pleasure. It's always fun to chat. It's just like have a coffee and have a chat. I know. We should have. We should have put on the coffee Should've machine. the champagne. <laughs> next time, next time. Any parting words for allied health business owners? I think my parting word is hang in there. It, being mm. a business owner is the toughest thing you'll ever do. I often say you need to be incredibly hardworking and resistant to take the top, the knocks and just dust yourself and get back up. Mm. You need to know that with hard work and effort, it will be okay in the end. And the last thing is sometimes I think you need to have been a little bit of naive because if we knew then what yeah. we knew now, we may never do it. And But that naivety continues because you don't know what next year looks like. You don't know the next problem coming your way. Um, so just hang in there and just keep trying to do the best. Love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on naker.com.au. And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others 
forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.